Hello and welcome to the Keto Man's Club podcast. We're glad you're here, where each week we talk about men's health and lifestyle. We do so with the foundation of the ketogenic diet and lifestyle. If you don't know what keto is, stick around and you'll find out. The podcast will bring you real honest fun. Each week we strive to uncover the tips and tricks that you can use in your everyday life to maximize your overall health and find the clearest path to becoming the best version of yourself that you were meant to be. lift heavy, sleep, and repeat. We call that our life cycle. Made a shirt about it, and it rings true with who we are as a podcast and a group. We are fortunate enough to have partnered with a company who can help us achieve one of those three key elements. Some sleep. They have a keto-friendly version of their delicious sleep aid drink, and we're loving it. It's a lightly flavored eight-ounce anti-energy drink. You drink it roughly 30 minutes before you're ready to go to sleep, and you'll feel it help you into a deep, restful, all-night sleep. It provides some helpful elements to do so, including magnesium, GABA, and melatonin. When combined, you have a powerful tool for getting the impactful sleep that you and I so frequently don't get in our technology-driven, fast-paced lives. You can find it at some retail stores, but you can also purchase it online and get it shipped to your door. When you do, use discount code TKMC10 and you'll not only be getting 10% off, but you'll be helping support the Keto Man's Club. You can find the link to their website by going to theketomansclub.com. We're thankful to Sam for partnering with us and we hope you'll benefit from use of their product the way we have so far. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Keto Man's Club podcast. My name is Chris. I'm one of your hosts. And as always, I'm joined this week by Jim and Alberto. How's it going, Jim? Uh, it's all good, man. Um, we're starting into month uh, number two of 2021. And uh, Groundhog Day is right around the corner. Uh, judging by the weather, we're going to see 463 more weeks of snow and bitterness in the world. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's all good. How are you, sir? <laughs> Doing well, keeping very busy, but maybe starting to get a little bit ahead of the curve, which would be a great thing uh, right about now. So, yeah. So, Alberto, what's going on with you? Oh, same old, same old, man. Just another another week. Crazy busy week last week at work. And so kind of really, really needed this weekend to kind of catch up and relax. And we'll do it all again starting tomorrow. So. <laughs> do we have to? Do we have to do it again tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. I would prefer not. Uh, <laughs> I start. I do like that paycheck, though. Yeah, <laughs> I start. I start my new schedule. To uh, well, I started my new schedule yesterday. Working Saturdays for the first time in six months, which is no fun. And then I I'm working Mondays again, and uh, that's okay. But I was using Monday as my day to prepare for multiple podcasts to land on Tuesday, and so I had to. I've been trying to work all week to get ahead and make it so that I can get these edits done as quickly and as efficiently as possible so that they land on Tuesday without issue. So we shall see how that ends up playing out. Hopefully uh, it will be, uh, be good to go um, and not be an issue. So, yeah. Um, So let's uh, talk club news. Uh, So reminder to our listeners, uh, we want to make sure that our uh, listeners go to our website, theketomansclub.com. And you can access all of our social links. All of our, pretty much everything is there. 
uh, including our um, our partner SOM and um, all of the other brands that we love to support because they are great people. Uh, you can also email us at ketomansclubpodcast at gmail.com or you can call or text 512-518-6161. So there's lots of ways to connect with us. We would also ask that if you, if you would, uh, that you take the time to visit Apple Podcasts or Amazon and review the podcast because that helps put us in front of as many people as possible. And uh, the more we can get in front of uh, folks, the more lives we can see changed. And that's what we're all about around here. So uh, your help with that is much appreciated. Let's go uh, straight into picks of the week. Do you? Uh, let's start with Jim. Well, you would do that just as I had uh, moved through mine here. So, but I know who it is, and it's um, a pretty uh, good one, I think. Um, I'm giving a shout out to um, our man Alberto here because he put up some honest stuff over the last couple of days, mm-hmm. and um, greatly appreciate it. You know, we talk about how great keto is and everything, but sometimes there's a little hiccup in the road. There's some challenges and whatnot. And, you know, you just, you just have to ride it out and everything. So to my brother from another mother, um, all the love, <laughs> Mr. Bertel. <laughs> Much appreciated. I, yeah, that was a, a great post for sure. And, uh, a lot of transparency there, but there, that's so important as, as men, we, we oftentimes think we can't, uh, show vulnerability and who we are and, and on all of that type of thing. And, uh, uh, when we break down that wall, when we challenge that, uh, internal belief, it, it ends up being a good thing for sure. So thanks Berto for being uh, transparent there for a minute. Um, what, no who, who's your pick? Go, go for it. Well, uh, how do you, co- how do you follow that up? That was a- <laughs> That's why I went first. Thank this you. Time. <laughs> Actually, my uh, my pick, uh, the big group, main group, our, our buddy Bob Hunt Jr.'s back, posting pictures of all of his ridiculous amount of food and food preparation. And uh, yeah, every time I see those, it's like, I just makes me realize how lazy I am when it comes to my cooking. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, all those great food ideas. We'll uh, we'll talk about how food affects us um, here in a bit. That's what all, today is all about. So I'm I'm looking forward to discussing my glucose readings <laughs> hint, hint, mm-hmm. and uh, chuckle chuckle because uh, some of them weren't that lovely and other times they were great um i know what works uh we, we can say that confidently my pick uh for the week is going to be joe malushi uh he posted on the on the 25th and he uh um he, he said he's finally done procrastinating putting this post together i started keto sometime before the picture on the left I was 395 pounds then. After a few years of excuses, this picture is taken. Uh, this picture was taken, and I had enough. In November of 2017, the picture on the left was taken, and I was 375 pounds. Not much tracking, just eating intuitively. The picture on the right was taken January 25th, 2021, the day before my 36th birthday. I am 244 pounds. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm started tracking my macros and need to break a few bad habits. I also need to start working out. Uh, and, and this is the type of transformation that we very fortunately get to see on a very regular basis. People, uh, men specifically taking, um, taking charge of their life, losing, let's see, what is this? 395, almost 150 pounds, uh, slow but sure, basically over the years, which I was just talking with someone earlier today. 
slow but sure is the best way to do it because it ends up staying off most of the time mm-hmm. because it's a it's the sign that you made a lifestyle change and not just a uh, hey i'm gonna go to diet for a little while so i love yeah. to see that uh excellent excellent work there joe um awesome job so yeah um that's my pick um let's see is there any other business that we should attend to before we dive into our conversation i'm we had 20 some new members join the um the keto men's 101 or excuse me the keto 101 man's club last week and i think we're on target for another 20 or so this coming week um so again those who are at the first of the year and looking for health opportunities and just all kinds of stuff or just looking for a group for men um to kind of share commiserate laugh be honest um welcome aboard glad to have you a lot of people are finding us through the podcast a lot of us or a lot of folks are finding us are finding us through reddit um again i'm not really a reddit user but there's a lot of people out there who are subreddits and i don't even know the terminology so i'm not even <laughs> going to try it but hey grateful for all of you that are tracking us down absolutely yeah however they get to us we will take them as long as they answer the questions answer the questions that's it um that's- and I, I know i brought it up last week and we were at like 49.8 or something like that. But as of right this moment, we're at 50,713 downloads on the podcast. That's pretty darn good. This will be uh, this episode that's air- that, that we're airing right now. Let's, let's check the, the spreadsheet here. Uh, this is going to be 91. So oh, my 90, gosh. 90 you episodes. for 100? Wow. Yeah, in less than 90 um yeah, in less than ninety episodes, we we've got fifty thousand downloads. That's 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 nineties was a good decade. Nineties yeah. <laughs> things were simpler. Yep, a lot less hair gel. Yeah, couldn't track your glucose though. <laughs> I, I, couldn't do it. <laughs> Sorry, that just hit me the right way. Okay, yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I, I, of course I was taking a, a drink just off the side when that happened. Um, so, okay. Well, um, yeah. Awesome things with the, with the downloads. I'm glad that we're, uh, we're seeing those numbers continue to increase the, the group. We've not seen, you know, huge strides as far as the numbers of, of new group members, but we're still seeing steady growth in both groups. And, uh, even beyond that, we're seeing growth in the members. The members mm-hmm. themselves are showing maturity and growth. And there's uh, quite a few of our one-on-one members that totally shouldn't be just at least just in the one-on-one group at this point. They they totally need to be over in the main group. And we probably need to do a better job of saying, hey, you're ready. Come on <laughs> over. <laughs> uh, so that will be that. that That's so great. Okay. Let's uh, talk about what we're going to talk about today and then uh, introduce our guests a little bit and I didn't get her full bio, so I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna leave it to her to introduce that. But uh, we are joined by uh, Carly Hayes. She is with NutriSense. I talked ad nauseum for three months as I wore my continuous glucose monitor over the holidays and during my first carnivore keto cut to uh, monitor my glucose levels going, um, going up and down and seeing how I reacted to different things. That's how I have the data that I have that for me personally, things like energy drinks don't have that much of effect on the in the moment type thing. Um, I did see some some we'll, we'll get into all the, the the nerdy the nerdiness in a bit. But uh, <laughs> basically, that's how I 
got all of that information and I loved every minute of it versus having to use one of these once or twice a day and try to, you know, prick my finger and, you know, purchase all these little strip things. I, you know, it monitors and it, it pulls every now and again. And so we're going to talk all about what continuous glucose monitoring is. We're going to talk about what it can tell us and, and all of that. Well, with that said, Carly, welcome to the show. Um, you, you're among um, a very limited few. Uh, we, we don't generally have uh, females on the on the show because, you know, we're talking about men and men's life and men's health generally. But uh, you have a unique perspective and, and absolutely have uh, something that, that is important to share. And so we're, we're glad to have you in the clubhouse. You know, we, we, we took the, the you know, girls not allowed sign down for you. <laughs> I love it. I feel like we're on little rascals. Um, yeah. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited to talk about all things glucose today. Absolutely. Um, so introduce yourself a little bit on what your specific uh, credentials are, what your background is, uh, training, and what you do specifically for NutriSense. I'd love to. Um, great question. So yes, my name is Carly Hayes. And as you guys know, I am a registered dietitian. So I'm the lead dietitian at NutriSense. And as Chris knows, and hopefully Berto and Jim will, will find out, right, when you sign up for NutriSense, is that we are a company that leverages technology from continuous glucose monitoring to just help people optimize their glucose metabolism, prevent disease, and just fine-tune their diets based on their individual biology. So that's what I'm doing now. I definitely didn't start there. So I went kind of a traditional background had my um, internship at the Memphis VA. So I was kind of in the hospital system there. Uh, and then I really just wanted to work one-on-one -on -one with people to help them better their health. And I became an outpatient dietitian. So my first job, I was seeing, you name it, every single uh, condition that you can think of. And it was usually a lot of, you know, diabetes, pre-diabetes, but also, you know, cardiovascular disease, you know, gluten sensitivities, uh, weight loss, all the typical things you think of when you think of a dietitian, I was seeing it all. So I kind of, you know, dip my toes into everything. But what I really started to see is that the people that were coming to see me were usually coming straight from their doctor's office with a diagnosis. And that was typically, you know, probably about 90% of the time, either, you know, type two diabetes or pre-diabetes. And they would come to me very motivated, right? Like ready to make this change. But what I started to get frustrated with was, why is it at this stage that we're making that adjustment? Why am I the last person? Why is health and nutrition the last kind of ditch effort to help these people live a healthier life? So I think there's a lot of reasons why that happens. But um, the big one is that there's a lack of focus on preventative health. We really are great at pro you know addressing diseases once they arrive, but all of the stuff beforehand, we're kind of missing. We're missing all of those little yellow flags that say that maybe something might be starting to go wrong. And we're waiting for that condition to actually become a diagnosis before we're doing anything about it. So, of course, you know, my clients were feeling really frustrated and, and kind of disheartened that they didn't have that chance to make a change early on. And that's where I, I wanted to focus more on prevention and, um, you know, addressing these things before they became that diagnosis. Carly, so what, I, what is the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? Really good question. So dietitians have to go through a minimum of four years. Uh, so a bachelor's degree, and then they have to do an accredited program, which is, um, mine was about nine months. 
And then they have to take a test and get certified and they have to continue that education every five years to get recertified. So it's a degree, it's a, you know, supervised practice, a certification, uh, a lot of schooling. Um, nutritionists, uh, there are some really great nutritionists out there, but mm-hmm. there's not as much um, regulation around what they need to become a nutritionist. So there's a lot of, you know, online programs and you can get it very quickly without that supervised practice to become a nutritionist. So my official title is a registered dietitian nutritionist to kind of try and eliminate some of that confusion because we do a lot of the same things, but a dietitian typically just has a little bit more supervised training uh, and they have to go through this very regulated pathway to get where they, where they are. Great. Good question. So I'm curious, uh, from what I have observed, you have a, a relatively small, tight-knit team at NutriSense, but you guys, you're, you're monitoring hundreds, if not thousands of, of mem- you know, group members, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So we, we've, we've grown very quickly. So we first started seeing, having users, you know, seeing patients, uh, if you want to call it that, back in September of 2019. So very, very uh, quick rise. And I think we've grown very quickly in the past six months. So we've, we started out with just five, five people. Um, and we've recently kind of added more dietitians to our team, but we're still, yeah, very, very, very close knit, uh, very small company. But we are probably the only people that have this unique insight into, you know, everyone's glucose data without the presence of diabetes. So we're specifically looking at continuous glucose monitoring data from people that are trying to kind of focus on that preventative side of health. And I think that's really cool. It's really b- groundbreaking. There's not a ton of research in this space. So we've been able to kind of be on the forefront of managing glucose from this, this perspective. <laughs> oh, that's great. So let's, uh, let's, let's start from the very, very, very beginning for our, you know, we have people that listen to this podcast that are all walks of keto. Um, so what is it exactly that your product does? Where do you put it? And uh, like just a really broad overview of, uh, of what can you expect? What kind of data can you expect out of it as you start moving along? Yeah, that's a great question. So when we're talking about continuous glucose monitoring or just glucose monitoring in general, I think everyone's first thought is, oh, diabetes, right? So we probably all know someone that monitors their glucose from a finger prick device, a glucose meter. Um, and Chris, I know you have one of those as well. But really what we know is that it's kind of cumbersome, right? So a glucose meter is going to give you one prick, one snapshot in time of what your glucose is doing. Uh, Whereas a glucose monitor, which is what NutriSense uses, it is a wearable device. So it kind of attaches to your skin, looks kind of like a Band-Aid. It's inserted into your body. So it kind of stays there for a full 14 days to give you not just one, you know, snapshot into time, but we like to think of it like a movie, like a time lapse of all of your glucose 24 hours a day for those 14 days. So instead of just, you know, data points, you're getting tons and tons of data points every single day. So this really helps you see the full picture of what your glucose metabolism is doing, kind of like a window into your body to see what's going on and how your body's, you know, coping with your diet or your stress or your sleep or what your exercise is doing to your glucose. Because when we think of glucose, the reason why it's so important to monitor is that it's, we like to call it our other vital sign. So we monitor, you know, blood pressure, we monitor our weight, we monitor our waist circumference, all these different variables, but we're not measuring the thing that can tell us the most about our metabolism. And that's glucose. So 
with glucose, our body really, really works hard to keep it in a very tightly controlled range. And we can kind of get into the specifics of the numbers or what to look for. But just knowing that our bodies work really hard to keep glucose in a tightly controlled range is important because what we want to monitor glucose for is when it starts to go outside of that range. So like a little bit too high, maybe a little bit too low, or we're having bigger fluctuations within that range. That's the early signs of metabolic dysfunction or, you know, later on insulin resistance. So by monitoring glucose and kind of making sure it's you know in the optimal range most of the time, we're able to fine tune our habits, our lifestyle, our diet to keep glucose metabolism going the right way. You know, there's been this statistic that everyone talks about that 80, 88% of Americans are not metabolically healthy. And it's, it's true, right? So it might be glucose, it might be other signs of metabolic dysfunction. But by using that continuous glucose monitor, we're able to see what's going on and make changes early on to prevent issues down the road. And so NutriSense uses those, but we also, for me, I'm a dietitian with NutriSense. So I am assigned to, you know, different users that are trying to observe their glucose for different reasons. And I'm helping them identify those trends, become their own glucose expert, and then make changes where they need to, to optimize that data uh, and get their glucose where it needs to be. So with this monitoring program and wearing it for 14 days, what's, what's the responsibility of the individual? Are they tracking, you know, woke up at 6 a.m., breakfast was eggs at night? I mean, all that kind of stuff. Or what all does the individual have to do to help make the, give you the full picture? Right. So definitely tracking is optional, but I would say it helps you, you know, paint the better picture because over time you're not going to remember what you had on a certain day or, you know, why your glucose spiked from this one thing. So definitely monitoring and, and tracking your uh, macros. You don't have to track the specific macros, but just typing in a short description of your meal is really helpful because that can give you really comprehensive analytics of how your body responded to that meal. And then me, your dietitian can come in and say, Hey, if this was a little bit too high, let's try changing this one thing. Or, hey, let's try moving this at a different time of the day to optimize your response. So definitely meals is probably the most important thing. We do, our app does connect with, you know, HealthKit from Apple or Google Fit. So some of that data is already coming in. Like if you're wearing an aura ring or, um, you know, some of your exercise from HealthKit will automatically populate. Or you can add it in yourself just to see how your glucose is responding to that as well. And then um, we, we always want to monitor sleep both your quality and your quantity, and then um, stress. So we have the ability just to, on a one to five scale, rank how stressed you are throughout that day because it has a huge impact on your glucose. So the more the user logs and monitors, the more insight they're going to get in their glucose for sure. Yeah, I have, I'm looking at one of the days just kind of at random from December and, and I've got all sorts of data points. And because I track my sleep using my Apple Watch, because I have workouts that, that sync up with the activity app and everything else, it, it's all right here. Plus I added the, the, the points of I had this or I had that. And as far as food goes, and I can see that half an hour later, 45 minutes later, here's whatever the response was for that. And so it's really great to be able to see this correlation and it is, a slight time delay, but that's how our body works, number one. And that's two, it, it takes time for the for the glucose to actually make it to where the, the sensor is actually pulling the fluid from our bodies. So it's... Uh, right. That's a, that's a really good point. So when you think about glucose meters, they're measuring your blood, right? The CGM, the glucose monitor, it measures your interstitial fluid. So this is that area right outside your cells. 
And when we think about how glucose travels through your body, it's first going to go into your blood and then it's going to travel into that interstitial fluid. So Chris, you're exactly right. There is that lag time, right? It's a little bit delayed behind your blood glucose. So if you're measuring at the same time as your glucose meter, they're probably not going to match up, you know, right away. But about 15 to 45 minutes later, you'll see that same value. So and then, you know, by looking at that data, you can see your full response to that meal that you just ate or exercise or whatever it is, as long as you're scanning at least once every eight hours. Yep. Let's talk about the big question that I'm sure that you're tired of answering at this point. Does it hurt? Because you're you're inserting this filament into your skin and you're like, there's a needle. What? what? You know, it's got to hurt, right? And I know that it doesn't, but what do you tell the, the clients as they're, they're apprehensive about all that? Oh, 100%. out is the biggest question I get. And I'm telling you, I was apprehensive the first time I applied one as well, because you look at the needle and it looks large. But a good thing to know is that needle does not stay in your body. What it does is it inserts just a tiny little microfilament that sticks in that interstitial fluid. And most people that are afraid are like, when they push that CGM in with the applicator, there's a sound. And I think that sound is more frightening than anything else. And then they, that's the only way that they know that it's been inserted because usually you don't feel it. Mm-hmm. It feels a lot less painful than even a finger prick or a shot. Yeah. So definitely not a painful thing. I would much rather do this than prick my finger any day. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I'm, when I do my keto mojo thing, I still have to do the breathe, breathe, punch. You know, I just, yep. it's a, it's a mental thing. Like, you know, I have to do the same thing with my TRT shots, you know, you know, but that's a much larger, much longer needle, you know, that I'm putting much deeper into my legs. So yeah, it, it, it's one of those things that, um, it, it was not, it, it wasn't nothing. I still had to like sit there and go, okay, let's do, it. but as far as actual experience of it, nowhere close to the discomfort that I, that I take from a, a finger prick or from, from an injection. It, it's nothing like that. Um, so it, yeah, it really wow. was, and it's, and it's spring loaded. And that's the, that's, that's the noise that you're, you're talking about in that is that the whole unit, you, you kind of connect these two parts together and I wish I still had them. I, I, I would show them. Oh, I have you know. them. Oh, oh, very cool. I have them here. <laughs> So I haven't opened this yet because this is still the one that I'm going to apply, but it comes with a couple different things. So it comes with the sensor, which is right here. And then this is the applicator. So this is where the needle is. But again, this doesn't stick in your body, only that tiny little microfilament. But yeah, it is scary because you see the needle before you put it in. But as long as you're putting it in kind of that fattiest portion of the back of your arm, it really doesn't hurt. That's the biggest thing that I hear all the time is how surprised people are when it, it doesn't feel painful. Yeah. And so that, 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 that insertion one, it's just a spring loaded thing that puts it on there. And then the, the glue or the, 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 the sticky backing sticks on the skin. It blocks out water. I, my last few sensors, I didn't even use the band aid over it to hold it in place. It, it, it was good enough by itself without any issues. So, um, that right. I, I, I was having a little skin reaction to the bandage. So I, I didn't have the same reaction to the to the glue, though. So that's good. Um, yeah. And I, that's what I will say is use the adhesive wipe if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, you can wipe that on. Then it'll just add an extra layer of stickiness. Yeah. I don't like the Band-Aids either. But um, we do have a lot of people that have them fall off, especially if they're really active without the Band-Aids. So if you don't want to use that, that adhesive wipe can be a, a good sub. Very cool. So let's see here. Uh, we've talked about what it is and how it works in general. 
Uh, we've talked about that it provides uh, the glucose data, uh, the, the numbers of that. Let's talk about what the normal ranges for those are um, for a healthy individual and then what you normally see in someone that's diabetic. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yes. So when we're talking about glucose and kind of what to look for, there are three main kind of things that we're looking at. And the first is one that if you've ever got a standard lab panel from your doctor, you probably are familiar with, and that's your fasting glucose. So that's just as it sounds, right? You're fasted for at least eight hours, and that's when you're drawing your your glucose. And so what we're looking for there for optimal metrics is a fasting value between 70 to 90. Um, and the interesting thing is if that you go to your doctor and you get this lab drawn, a lot of the times you're not going to get any red flag or any you know sign that this might not be normal until you're exceeding 100. So they're kind of looking for fasting glucose to exceed that 100 before they flag it as being something you need to pay attention to. But for optimization, for longevity to just optimize our health, we're looking for that fasting value between 70 and 90. And that's, you know, just one of the metrics, but it is a really important one to look at. And with the CGM, you're able to see all the different factors that can influence that value. So Chris, I know you noticed, you know, how sleep impacted your glucose. I know you mentioned one night that your dog, right, kind of woke you up in the middle of the night. And so your fasting values were just slightly higher that following day. Mm -hmm. And that's the really, really interesting thing about fasting glucose is how affected it is by small little changes in our lifestyle. So alcohol the night before can cause really high fasting values the next day. Um, poor sleep, waking up in the middle of the night, or just kind of being stressed throughout your day can cause that slightly higher fasting value. So if you think about going to your doctor's office, right, you're just getting that one metric. Uh, sometimes you'll get an, a hemoglobin A1C, which is kind of an average glucose value of your glucose over three months. Um, but those are usually the only two metrics that you're getting. And with that fasting value, say you have a really bad night of sleep the night before, that might not be an indicative of your overall fasting values, which is why the CGM can be so helpful to see kind of over a longer period of time what those are trending. And so when we start to see values kind of creep up above 90, that's when we start to pay attention more to that fasting glucose. So a lot of times we'll have people that will, you know, check their glucose every year at the doctor like they're supposed to, and it's slowly creeping up. Maybe it started at 80 and then now they're at 92, 93. That's when uh, we really want to make those changes to get fasting glucose below that 90 for optimal values. So that's just one metric. There's a couple different ones that we're looking for. I know one thing you had mentioned was you know, when we do eat, what are we looking for? And that one is a little bit more nuanced because there are a lot of different things that we're looking at. So when we eat a meal, we are looking for, first of all, the peak glucose value. So First of all, how high your glucose is getting after that meal, that maximum value. And in that case, we want to most often aim for values less than 140. I know, Chris, you had yours kind of set as a, a tighter value, like a mm -hmm. 120 as your threshold. Is that right? I was, but that was intentional because one, I'm, I'm, I was carnivore for the majority yeah. of that time. So I knew that it shouldn't spike above that. And if it did, then something was in whatever it was that I was eating. And I wanted that, I wanted that signal. Uh, but yeah, I, the, I had moved mine from 140 to 120 just because I, I, I wanted a tighter, um, a tighter factor there. Yeah. And we typically see, you know, when people on a keto diet, carnivore diet, they're usually staying below that 120. 
unless, yeah, they're maybe trying like keto product and it has some isolated fiber or an artificial sweetener that their body's reacting to, mm-hmm. and that will shoot them a little bit higher. Um, so definitely we do see kind of that tighter threshold in a keto diet. But for people, you know, consuming a mixed macronutrient diet, ideally we want that peak value less than 140. And the interesting thing about this is that there's really no governing body that's assessing this metric at all. So the American Diabetes Association, the WHO, they're not really looking at that peak value at all. But we know from research that it's a really important metric to monitor. Um, And really with this, we're not concerned about the occasional spike above 140. You know, if you have a meal that's a little bit off and you're spiking a little bit higher than that on occasion, probably not a concern, but really it's about that repetition. So if you're spending a large portion of your time above 140, you know, every single meal, then that can be detrimental to your overall health. And what we see with these high spikes above 140, especially above 160 to 180, we start to see, you know, damage to those beta cells. We see um, oxidative damage because it's causing that damage on the blood vessel itself. So repetition above that 140 can be really toxic to the system and can lead to problems later on. So Again, identifying foods that are causing you to exceed that value and identifying those and, and kind of making changes to that can make a huge difference in your metabolic health. And that's just so, the peak value. So Berto uh, spoke last week or the week before, I forget which, about his daughters doing Girl Scout cookies. So let's say Berto decides, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm, I'm over it. And he just knocks hard. back three boxes just, you know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Because he know he's going to do it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. But I mean, what what would be what would be a typical response like for something like that? Because I'm trying to figure out, you know, if somebody goes and has an, a cupcake at their kid's birthday party, is that going to knock it up to 300, or are we going to stay around 110 for an hour, or what? What? How does that work exactly? Well, it really depends on the person, and it depends on what diet they're following. So, Berto, if you're following a keto diet you might have a very big response to this food, especially if it's not something that's in your normal diet. But we can get into that and kind of the nuances within that as well. But uh, if that's not a, something that you're you're eating a lot, you're eating, you know, 20 net carbs a day, that one, you know, 50 gram carb cupcake will cause a very, very high response. It's really likely that it will take you above that 140. I think an important an important thing to note here is that It is quite normal to spike above 140, and that doesn't always mean that you have insulin resistance or, you know, something's going on. There are foods that inherently always take us above 140. For me, that's chocolate-covered pretzels. No matter what I do, I will spike above 140 to that food. And again, that's the standard American diet, right? That's, you know, sugar and really, really refined carbs that are designed to affect our glucose really, really quickly and be absorbed into the bloodstream rapidly. So... It doesn't always mean that you have some metabolic dysfunction if you're spiking above those, but it is a sign that maybe those foods aren't supposed to be in our diet a lot. Really, we're concerned if you're spiking above 160 to 180 and you're staying there for a while. That's where we start to see the most damage, especially in the research that we've seen so far. So again, spiking above 140, uh, it happens on occasion. We can usually make some tweaks to get you below, but when we do that all the time, we're spending repeated excursions above that range, that's when we start to get concerned. Does that answer your question? It does. Thank you. I can tell you for a fact, the, um, whatever the, the, the carb substitute is in quest bars, my body totally thinks it's refined sugar. And then my body reacts to refined flours 
even worse than sugars, like way worse. I'm looking at a 180 here um, because of pizza, because, well, pizza. So, <laughs> um, hey, it was Christmas Day. You, 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 do, you do what you have to on Christmas Day. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's so it, it, it's interesting to me that actually my response to non-sweet, savory and whole grain or whatever you want to call it is actually worse. And it's longer. It takes longer. And I think we talked about that uh, or uh, me and and, um, and I'm totally blanking on her name. Molly. Mo- yeah, Molly. We, we were working on on uh, we were talking about that and she said, yeah, that's normal. Um, because it just takes longer right. to go through the system, right? Yeah. So if you think about a, a food like pizza, that's a lot of starch, right? It's a lot of refined flour, like you mentioned. And I like to think of that as an acellular carbohydrate. And that's a big fancy word for it's been broken down. So it doesn't have cell walls. So our body doesn't have to work very hard to break it down. It goes right to the bloodstream, right? So that's where you see that high spike. But then with pizza, you're adding you know, fat from the pepperoni and the sausage, and you're adding fat from the cheese. And what fat does, as you guys probably know, is it slows digestion. So instead of having, you know, one big spike, and then you're coming back down, you're going to see smaller, more frequent spikes, because that fat is slowing down digestion. And then that glucose is being released in bouts afterwards. So we call that a, a large area under the curve, right? Because you're having that large spike, but it's continuing, and it's not coming down quickly. Versus if you just ate a soda, right, or you drank a soda, that's quick acting carbs, but there's no fat to slow it down. So it rises quickly. And then ideally, it's going to come down pretty quickly. And with those small spikes that I talked about, that's a normal response to that food. So Molly's right. That's what our body's supposed to do. We have a couple different phases of insulin. So we have that first phase and that happens, you know, 15 minutes after the meal. And then every, you know, 15 to 30 minutes afterwards, we have another phase of insulin. And that's going to keep happening until it brings glucose back down. So for meals that are that really fun combination of both starch and fat that could take a very long time to get back down to glucose values. That's a good point. What about, what about, um, you know, other chemicals in the body? I mean, are there things besides glucose that you have to monitor with all of this that, you know, I'm sure you're looking at medicines that somebody takes and things like that, but just what are some other things that can impact your glucose numbers on a day-to-day basis? Oh, that's a Besides great the question. Food, I should say. So yeah, we always say there's four different pillars and you had mentioned, you know, medications. That's definitely one of them. So there are medications that affect glucose. There are uh, supplements that can falsely affect glucose. So like if you take a really high dose of vitamin C, that can falsely affect your glucose in the CGM specifically just due to a reaction with the sensor itself. But when we're talking about the major glucose influencers, aside from food, that's going to be exercise, stress, and sleep. And I like to think of those as like the four pillars, because if you think of them holding up that table and that table is our metabolic health, just one of those falling apart can cause the whole thing to crumble down. So uh, I think a big one that we see is stress. Um, when we have stress, our body is experiencing a big load of cortisol. That's our stress hormone, right? And what cortisol does is it tells us, tells our body, hey, we are under a threat. You need to give us some energy in case we need to run for the hills, right? So in you know our, our um, olden days, we might be actually running from something trying to save our lives. And we might actually need more fuel to power that movement. So what the body does, and this is smart, right? It increases our glucose output from the liver. So cortisol is like, hey, give us some more glucose so that we have some fuel to move if we need to. 
And then at the same time, it's reducing our insulin sensitivity so that more of that glucose, right? Think of glucose as energy is staying in that blood so that we have it to use in case we need to run from a lion or whatever it is. So now we have all these stressors that are chronic, but we don't need to necessarily run from, right? We have bills, we have a pandemic, we have all these things that are adding up and causing this cortisol response, but that's just causing our glucose to stay high consistently and we're not running from that stressor. So that is probably the biggest one that I see in, in people's data now. Um, Chris, I think you even saw this from something with work. You had an interview or you had a stressful conversation and you saw your glucose increase just, you know, minimally, but it, you mm-hmm. still saw that increase in the absence yeah. of food. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see. Yeah. It, 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 I, I don't remember what the situation was. It doesn't matter now, but, it, but yeah, it, there was definitely a, uh, a response there that, that was tracked in that moment. And it's, it is, um, being a data nerd like I am, I, I, lo- I loved seeing that. I hated having the stressful moment, whatever. It's normal. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I think sleep is kind of perceived by the body as the same way, right? So if we have even one night of fragmented sleep, so your dog's waking you up or a couple nights of inadequate sleep. So you're, you know, maybe working late and you're only getting four hours, the body perceives that as a stressor. So it's going to reduce its insulin sensitivity. We're going to have a higher baseline all day long. And we usually have higher responses to the same meals that we normally respond well to. So um, it's a double edged sword. Yeah, I don't know how many all-nighters I had on my readings. I'm pretty sure I had quite a few, though. <laughs> I do a lot. I did a lot of uh, a, a lot of all-nighters. Um, that, that's been my mo lately. I'm trying to fix that. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. How's that working out? <laughs> we'll see this week. This is this week's the week to to, to force myself into a new schedule. Yeah, this is the test. All right. So um, again. Taking it back just a little bit of a notch, say someone is is interested in a continuous glucose monitor, what steps do they take from knowing nothing about them to being set up and speaking uh, to one of your, to one of your, your staff? It's like, how does that whole process kind of yeah, work? Yeah, that's a great question. So I do think, you know, CGMs are becoming more popular. I think more people are knowing the benefits that come with CGMs. But I think the first step is to... Um, maybe listen to podcasts, kind of figure out if this is something that's right for you. My thought is anyone that wants to improve their health would benefit from a CGM. So the first step would be to find a program that can give it to you. Now with CGMs, they're typically only prescribed for people with diabetes, typically type one diabetes. So there is this real barrier in getting a CGM prescription. So in the United States, they are only allowed through a prescription In other countries, they're available over the counter. So you can go to Canada and uh, just go to your local pharmacy and say, I want a CGM and they'll get one to you. And you can kind of track this stuff. But here you kind of have to have someone that's prescribing that for you. And that's what NutriSense does. So we have providers on our staff that review uh, really comprehensive health backgrounds to see if a CGM is right for you. And then we prescribe that, we get it to you. And then you're set up with someone like me that can help you interpret that data. So we find a lot of times with CGM data is that there's a learning curve in kind of understanding what's going on there. Like I mentioned, there's a lot of different metrics we're looking at. There's a lot of different responses and there's a lot of different variability from person to person. So you might respond higher to a food that I respond really well to. And so it can be kind of confusing when you're getting into it, but that's where being with a professional that's trained in this data can help be the signal within the noise, so to speak. So we help you become your glucose expert. 
Um, and so we're reaching out to you and monitoring your data really regularly and helping you identify those trends and reach your goals, whatever they might be. So I think right now, I do think that CGMs are going to eventually be available over the counter here, I hope. Um, but until now, you have to kind of find a company that's willing to work with you if this is a preventative measure. So um, check out NutriSense. I think, like I said, I think that one-on-one -on -one communication from your dietitian can be really helpful, especially if you're hoping to make some big changes. And how often do you uh, communicate with a... Uh... Your client. Pretty regularly. So as Chris knows, you can message us right through the app. So there's then in-app chat and we will respond typically within 24 hours on a weekday, but I'm usually responding or reaching out to my users as well. So if they're not reaching out to me, I'm still analyzing their data. And every time I see a trend, I'll reach out and kind of explain that to them, help them optimize it for the future. And another cool thing, if you're a data geek and you just love to experiment with your own data and your body, we can plan some any any n equals one glucose tests to you know see how you respond to different changes in your diet or your lifestyle. So for biohackers, it's a really fun kind of communication that we have because we can really do some fun experiments with their data. One of those experiments that you guys did, I don't know who it was on the staff that did it. I don't remember, but somebody did a standing versus sitting experiment, right? Talk about that yes. for us. Oh, that was an interesting one. So that was actually one of our dietitians. That was Bahar. Uh, we recently found a study in which replacing just 30 minutes of your day that you normally spend sitting with standing. So like at a standing desk or working from your counter or whatever it is can drastically reduce your fasting glucose values. And so she didn't see any improvements in her fasting glucose because she only did it one day. But what she saw from the same meal is that Sitting directly afterwards caused a giant spike in her glucose. And when she st stood up, it didn't cause that same spike. So she was able to keep her glucose within the ideal threshold just from replacing 30 minutes after that meal, not with a walk, not with anything else, but just with standing at her standing desk, which was pretty cool. And that's a thing that we see all the time with, you know, just movement in general. Um, Chris, I noticed you mentioned, mentioned this a lot as well, but moving after your meal. So if you go for even a five to 10 minute walk after your meal, that can drastically improve your response to that meal. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about our muscles, that's where we're storing a lot of our glucose. And so any even small movements afterwards can help us dispose of, you know, glucose that we had in our storage and help make room for glucose from that meal. So, so those are other cool experiments to do. So we don't have to go straight to the gym and, and lift iron, you know, to, 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 to work off the glucose that we just ate. No, no. I mean, I, I won't downplay the importance of strength training because that's definitely one of the, the biggest things that we see make a positive impact, but even small movements. So I think we always think I have to go for this 60 minute workout after I work out or after I eat or else it doesn't matter. But even just, you know, small little five minute movements after you eat can make that huge change. What is, um, what is the appropriate amount of time that somebody can eat to going to bed? Because we've had guys before that talk about, you know, they, they work late or they go work out or whatever, and they don't get home till seven thirty, eight o'clock. And then they eat dinner late and, you know, they're going to bed at 10, 30, 11. So they've really kind of eaten their last meal within about an hour or two of going to bed. Right. I mean, and again, is that, a, is that, person to person, how that impacts them? Or what about that? I would say there is some level of 
bio-individuality within that, but eating timing, it's probably one of the most universal uh, roles that I, I see in, in all the users that I work with. And that's because when we think about the way that we respond to foods, our insulin sensitivity is really closely aligned to our circadian rhythm. So all that means is the closer you eat to you know dark time hours or that middle of the night, the worse responses you're going to have from those foods. And I, I mean, there are some people that this doesn't matter as much to them, but for almost everyone, eating late at night will cause higher fasting glucose values overnight and also higher responses to that meal. So a good rule of thumb is trying to keep your meals about three hours before you go to bed. I know that's not ideal for everyone. You know, if you're working late, you know, there's only so much we can do. But if you are working late, sometimes people, you know, see a lot of benefits from just having a lighter meal later in the night or very low carb meals later in the night, or maybe just adding that postprandial, that after meal walk um, to try and bring that glucose down a little bit. But if we can, trying to focus on that earlier eating window can make one of the most profound differences in, in your glucose values. Prior to COVID, I was going to um, Orange Theory Fitness five, six days a week, and I have, I've never been a morning person. So I would go after work, usually either the 5.30 class or 6.45, 7 o'clock. So, you know, you, you do your hour workout kind of thing. Well, then getting home at 8, 7.30, something like that, then it's, then it's time to eat. So I've always kind of wondered, you know, was I really doing any good? I mean, obviously I was burning calories and whatnot, and I wasn't coming home and knocking back three pizzas or anything. But yet, is this, is am I doing this the right way, so to speak? Right. I know. And I think for, you know, people that are busy and have a hectic schedule, getting home late, that's often the biggest challenge. I know that was my biggest takeaway when I wore my CGM for the first time. Uh, when I grew up, we ate dinner at nine o'clock every single night. That was just... We did. We, had, we were busy during the, the evening and then we ate dinner and went to bed. And what I saw in my own glucose data was shocking, right? And I see that almost universally. So the closer we eat to laying down, being sedentary later in the evening, typically the worst response we're going to have uh, to that meal. And that's where a lot of times people can improve their fasting glucose values by five to 15 points just from shifting their glucose or their last meal of the day, even 30 minutes earlier. Or like I said, like having it be a really small meal and having your lunch meal be the biggest. Sometimes that can be a workaround. Um, but yeah, eating with the sun is is a really, it sounds kind of woo-woo, but it man, it works. Um, so it's interesting. One of the best experiments that we'll have people do is try the same exact meal at lunchtime and then have it at dinner time. And the responses are markedly different with that meal time at night being a much higher response. See, you got to get your CGM to test it out, Jim. <laughs> They've been closed for a few months, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hear you. So let, let's. Um, so we've talked about what the what signifies a healthy glucose response. We've also talked about what's out of range and 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 whatnot. Now, d in a diabetic person, are they normally going out into that one eighty range, just kind of just off of anything, or kind of what's by that point, you've got this level of metabolic derangement that, that, you know, they're broken more or less, you know, let's, let's be honest. So right. what, what are we seeing from that? But then through, through monitoring and through small changes, how quickly should we see a response to lowering or changing that, that physiological response? 
So I definitely think, you know, in people that have diabetes, there is some beta cell dysfunction there. So it, I mean, there's some definite changes that we can make, but they might have kind of a higher baseline. And that's just something that we have to battle. So a lot of times with people with diabetes, we'll set that upper threshold a little bit higher, and then we can work to kind of bring it down. So instead of aiming for postprandial values below 140, we might aim for 160 and kind of work to bring it down. And it's not to say that we can never improve that because we definitely can. And we see this all the time. So we can work on improving our insulin sensitivity by, you know, adding in strength training to help with our postprandial responses. We can alter the meal timing. We can kind of lower carbohydrate intake. And those are all things that we see make huge impacts in both your postprandial, your glycemic variability, which we didn't really get into, but is a really important metric. Um, but it, it can take, you know, a couple weeks to a couple months to see big changes, especially in fasting glucose, because we do see, you know, so many variables there. So stress, sleep, all those different things. But if we're changing up your, your meal composition and your meal timing, we can see, you know, improvements in your data in as little as a couple days to a week. Um, if you do have more beta cell dysfunction, it can take a little bit more time. But I, I think there's this big thought that if you have diabetes or if you have pre-diabetes, all hope is lost. You just manage this, the condition. And I don't think that's the case at all. I've seen people make drastic improvements with the help of that real-time data. And um, it's awesome to see. So I think they do have power and we can control this and bring this back into a much healthier range if we monitor it and know the, the right changes to make. What have been the first things that people have experienced when they get their glucose back under control? Is it, is there, are there certain things that you're like, wow, I didn't even realize that was a struggle for me. And now it's back to normal kind of thing. 100%. The first thing that comes to my mind is energy. So that's probably one of the best uh, short-term changes that I see people experience. Um, and that's because your glucose fluctuations are very closely aligned with your energy levels throughout the day. So if you are eating foods that are causing massive spikes and then really big drops afterwards, so standard American diet, right? That's yep. going to cause you to feel really kind of fluctuating energy levels throughout the day. So you might have a lot of energy when you're up high and then you drop and you come down. But when we can really hone in and keep glucose in a much more tightly controlled range, so many people tell me that they have better energy, they sleep better, they don't have as much anxiety. I think that's not talked about enough. If you're having huge fluctuations in energy, that's causing those feelings of anxiety because your body's having to work really hard to kind of bring glucose back down to where it needs to be. So those are the two biggest things that I see, but um, improvements in energy and fullness and hunger cues is another big one as well. If you're on what we call the blood sugar roller coaster, right, where you're just trying, you're getting up high and you're coming down low and it's just this trend all day long and you're chasing that glucose, bringing it back down can cause you to just have better control over your hunger. If you are, you know, having these big fluctuations, your body's going to think that it needs food more often. But if we can get it down to, you know, kind of a tightly controlled range, you might feel more satisfied throughout the day. And that's where people can see a lot of big improvements in their weight loss goals just from monitoring glucose. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. It's really cool. This is a technology. It's, it's just nuts. I like a, so just this just this just popped into my head. But uh, so say, how do I word this? Do you guys you guys being the company, if someone was just making horrendous food decisions and horrendous diet decisions and they and they hired you guys to help them fix it, 
do, do you offer meal plans or do you just highly suggest they try to change a few things? Because there's got to be a certain percentage of people that they, they buy into it, they get their glucose monitor, but they don't change a thing and probably just refuse to change anything and just kind of, you know, make your <laughs> life a little more difficult. Have you had that happen? And, and what direction do you uh, take That's there? a really good question. I would say that has happened, but for the most part, our users are very, very motivated. And I think a lot of it is that real-time data. Chris can probably speak to this. When you're seeing that in real mm -hmm. time, that's much more motivating than say you're on a weight loss plan and you're just waiting for that scale to come down in pounds, right? That takes time, that takes right. effort, and it doesn't feel like your efforts are being rewarded right away versus the CGM. That's right in your face all the time. You eat something that your glucose doesn't respond well to, you see it that hour, right? Yep. So that real-time feedback and kind of it's that competition with yourself and, and seeing your choices in real time makes such a huge difference for how motivating it is for you. So that's where I say all of our users, most of our users are really, really motivated yeah. because they're seeing the impact of every single de decision as they make it. And it, we do provide meal plans for sure. If, if people are interested in that and want some meal ideas, we'll work with their, their diet preferences and kind of make some suggestions. I I can definitely say it's a game. How can I how can I control this? How can I you know? It, it's just like it's the exact same high that I get from working playing a video game and winning or beating a boss or like yes, this day I you know that's what data is to me as a data nerd. And so um, that was absolutely what it was whenever I was doing the uh, the whenever I had the sensor and 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 like you said, uh, Carly, it's it was just in your face every eight hours. I've got to scan anyway, so. I've got a scan and then I've got a face. What did I do these last few hours? Did that cookie, did that pizza, what did it do? Let, you know, and sometimes right. I even was like, okay, I'm not even going to wait. Let's see what happens. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That and that's the cool thing too. You can scan as much as you want. So mm -hmm. if you want to see every 15 minutes, what your glucose is doing, you can scan and see it. Um, so a lot of times when people eat a, a meal that's kind of off plan, they'll scan and see it every 15 minutes to see that glucose kind of climb up. Yeah. So um, it's just motivating. It's in your face data. It's, real-time feedback. And I think that's, that's crucial. Hmm. Hmm. Do you find oh, one thing? Go ahead. Sorry, I'm go sorry, ahead. Carl. Oh. <laughs> I was just going to ask, you, you talked about, um, you know, working with folks and the coverage and whatnot. Do you find that this is often covered under insurance? Is it not? What's, what's your thoughts on that? So it's not typically covered by insurance, but uh, FSA plans. So if you have like a savings account with your insurance, a lot mm -hmm. of times if you have a card, that will work for buying this program. Um, and we can fill out kind of some forms to help support that for your insurance. It's not supported by insurance specifically, which hopefully, again, that will change in the future right. once everyone starts to see how beneficial this can be. Um, you know, because if we can show the, the benefits of this and the improvements that can be made early on, I think um, insurance would, would greatly benefit from that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. But one thing I wanted to touch on, you had mentioned the meal plans. And one thing I wanted to, to say, because we do work with a lot of keto users, we also work with a lot of carnivore users. We work with a lot of, you know, vegan, all these different diets. So that's another thing that we really, really focus on is that there's no one size fits all diet. And we're never going to prescribe a certain plan. We will look at your data and kind of tell you what kind of diet that's suggesting that might be best for you but we don't prescribe anything. We're going to work with your preferences because we know, first of all, not everybody wants to follow the same thing, but also we're going to follow what the data tells us. Uh, we always say data over dogma, right? Because the one size fits all, you know, you follow this plan, you follow the same plan. I think those days are over because we know that everyone responds so differently to the same foods. So 
Um, and that can be fun to test. Hmm. Yep, definitely. Um, so let's, um, we've still got a, a little bit more time, uh, but we're, we are starting to get towards the, the, the tail of our hour and we, we want to respect your time as best as we can. Um, what, what is the, the, the generic cost? I know it, if, depending on the length of, of the term, it, it varies a little bit, but talk about some of the costs of what NutriSense is, uh, costs and, um, kind of response time, how, how soon you'd get thing, you know, the, the sensor and, and all that type of stuff. Yeah, good question. So typically kind of how it works, you would go to our website, you click sign up, and then we have you fill out a health questionnaire. And that just kind of makes sure that we aren't um, giving you a CGM if it's not right for you. So right now we're not working with, you know, pregnant women or anyone under the age of 18 or anyone that's on insulin currently. Uh, but other than that, if you fill out everything and you kind of fit the, the program, then you should be receiving a CGM kind of within that full week. And we have been experiencing some shipping delays with COVID. So that's kind of part of the course, but we ship it out mm -hmm. to you pretty quickly and you can get started as soon as you receive it. And that would include the dietitian support as well. So um, again, becoming your own glucose expert. And there are a, a lot of different programs that we have. So I mentioned that each sensor lasts for about 14 days. So we have, you know, if you just wanted to see how your diet's working or test some specific foods or whatever, just to get a quick peek into how your metabolism is working, the trial plan is probably the best option. And that is about $175 right now. That is for the sensor, the app, the software analytics, and the dietitian support. And then our, we have longer programs. So we have like a month-to-month -month program where you can cancel at any time. And that includes those two sensors plus all of the dietitian support and analytics. And that one is 350 per month. And you can just cancel whenever you no longer want it. If you want a uh, more of a subscription plan. So if you have maybe specific goals you want to set. So improving your fasting glucose or trying out the keto diet and seeing how that works for you. Or uh, maybe a weight loss goal that's specific to you. Sometimes that takes a little bit more time. So we have, you know, three month plans, six month plans and longer. Our most popular is the three month and that would be $250 a month. That includes all those things that I mentioned. And then the dietitian for that first month, just to kind of help you um, and identify everything that's going on and make changes where, uh, where you need to make them. So we try and work with everyone kind of what they want to um, evaluate. Not everyone wants a CGM on them for three months, maybe just two weeks or a month would be great for you. And, and that works. Yeah, I'll definitely be spot checking here and there. Um, at this point, I have three months of really great data. I'm already convinced that I'm going that that pretty much from here on out, my my way of life is pretty much 95% carnivore and in about 5% keto, maybe 4% keto and 1% every now and again something else because well, well, you know, pizza. the wife's not keto. <laughs> Uh, so makes it hard. Yeah, it, it does make it hard sometimes. Uh, but you know, it, it is one of those things that um, spot checking every now and again is really powerful. Once you kind of get some baseline. So for me personally, my recommendation that I would make to somebody who's trying to prove a plan at least do a month, if not do a three month, if you can. And then once you do that three month, you have enough data during that three months to really say, okay, I have this huge pool, 90 days worth of food that I know how I react to this, or at least how I reacted during this period of time. 
And then a few months down the line, get another sensor for a short period of time and have that to just spot check. Hey, you know, something's off. I'm not getting my, I'm not reaching my goal. What do I need to fine tune? Is something changed? Um, you know, any of those things. And so that would be my, my personal thing. And that, because that's what I plan to do. I really feel like that's going to be a, a, a great way to, to go, um, for, for a lot of our, our guys, uh, in, in, in the group and, and otherwise. So anyone that's, that's seeing this. So yeah. Um, very cool. That would be um, great. That's a great option. Yeah. So the, um, the website is nutrisense.io, correct? Correct. And we are also on social as well. So if you have Instagram, Facebook, follow us at nutrisense.io. Um, we're always trying to, you know, post research or tips or, you know, even if you're not using CGM, you can at least do those things to improve your glucose where you can. Yep. Very cool. Well, gents, did we miss anything else? We we kind of, you know, Carly, we, we have a, yeah, we've got a chat behind exactly. the scenes that, that we kind of already asked that question, but maybe something came up. So. Yeah. I just got a quick, something that just, again, just came to me right this minute. So is, is there a correlation between uh, like being able to track your blood glucose and say food allergies? Like say, like for instance, I eat hundred percent strict keto, but I didn't realize I was allergic to eggs. Would, would there be some kind of data that would point to be like, well, even though you're hundred percent keto and everything's working out great, something you ate here is not jiving with you. And is, is it possible to use that data? It for that can reason? be. Or some it can similar be. To it? So th- this is usually pretty uh, interpersonal as well. So some people will see responses in their glucose and some won't at all. And I think it really depends on whether it's initiating that inflammatory response or not. So if it's kind of causing that stressor on your body or um, causing that immune response, then that can definitely ca- show up in your glucose, especially for protein foods like that, because we don't especially uh, expect them to cause a glucose rise. So if we're seeing that rise in glucose, it definitely is possible you have a sensitivity to, you know, egg yolks or, or whatever it is, um, usually egg whites with with eggs, but um, that's really individual. So a lot of times people will say that they have a symptom, but their glucose doesn't move at all. And then sometimes people won't know that they have um, an issue with the food, but their glucose is telling. So it really depends. And it depends on the type of food. Essentially, if you are having like a, you feel a response, either, you know, sometimes people will have like a histamine response and they'll have itchiness or they'll have hives. We'll ask them to log that as a note within the app so that we can kind of track their glucose in coordination with that as well. So that's interesting. Interesting. Yes. That's crazy. Cool. Well, um, trying to, to, to make sure that there's, there's no other questions that need to be answered for anyone that that's uh, curious and, and to, to get into this, um, for, for those that are listening to this on audio, we, we are showing this in, in video, uh, on our YouTube channel. And I will throughout this conversation actually take some snapshots of my charts to give you some examples of what the app looks like and things like that. So you can kind of see, uh, kind of in action, what the results of the, the CGM actually looks like inside the application and, and, and all of that. And, and so that you can kind of know what to expect visually. So check out the video on the YouTube channel. Um, if you're listening to the audio version of this, um, if not just check out the social media, uh, for NutriSense, uh, because they're, they'll, they'll have all sorts of different, Good stuff there, including, I'm sure, visual examples of, of what, what it's doing, what it's looking like, and things like that. Do you have a YouTube channel? I think I, I feel like you do. 
We do. We aren't as active on it, but we do just for some, um, you know, application videos and Mm -hmm. things like that. So um, definitely can follow us there. But I would say probably Facebook, Instagram is the best, best way to get more information. Very cool. Yeah, I, I think uh, what I was remembering, I think, is that's where you have your. This is how you you actually in you know inject or insert your your sensor uh, yes. uh, video, and and so yeah, you see you see you you see the. What, in fact, you look familiar. Were were you the one that filmed that video, or were, I don't. I did film one video. I'm not sure if I'm on there, but I could very well be uh, inserting my CGM and scanning it. So it is possible. (laughs) Yeah. Very good. Well, um, it's, uh, it's been really great to, to, to nerd out over all of this stuff and get to really dive into, to a lot of this. And I, I think this, I, I, I align very closely with with what what NutriSense is doing, a, a, a proactive, and I think we all Keto Man's Club in general. We want guys to to take the initiative to to get in front of it to, to find out, and so I, I think that that we're all kind of we're we're all in alignment with all of that, and and um, wanting to provide uh, information and tools that will help um, men and and women. You know, there's some women out there listening. But, you know, our target audience is men. I won't lie. Uh, but it's in the um, title, you know, it, it is. It's in the title. Uh, you know, get get it, get this information in their hands and, and, and really give them a, a tool that w- will be helpful. And in the long run, I think that's a really powerful thing. Um, yeah, 100 um, percent. I think that just knowing that you have the power to make changes early on that can benefit you throughout your entire life. And it doesn't even hurt, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's really powerful and can change the world. So, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, those CGM prices will drop, and you guys, uh, because I know that you don't want to charge what you charge because it's not about making money. You uh, you got to pay your bills, I'm sure. But right. but you 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 it's it, it everything that I've gathered from interacting with 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 the staff uh, at NutriSense uh, through whether it be support or working with Molly or or communicating with you has been. Very much that we're on a mission. We want to get out there. We want to do this thing. And yeah, we absolutely want to drop this price if we can, because 250 a month is, that's a, that's a chunk. I had to convince my wife that, that it was, you know, that was going to be doable. Um, you know, that, yeah, that's, 100%. But, I think the more demand for CGMs, um, mm-hmm. hopefully the lower, um, they'll, they'll cost, right? Because they know yeah. that more people are benefiting from this. So Absolutely. we're hoping that we can pass those savings on to all of our users when the, when the prices come down and the technology is not as new. Yep. Absolutely. Very good. Well, I, let's, let's wrap this up and, and get, get you off with, uh, for the rest of your night. Uh, remind, uh, second reminder to our listeners. We, uh, appreciate you guys following and listening and watching. Um, if you, uh, it, if you're if you're listening, check out our YouTube. Subscribe. We are going to be doing more and more of these videos, and uh, try. I try to to edit these down and make make them really valuable, not just uh, in the conversation and being able to put a face with a name, but also to be able to uh, to be able to uh, have some visuals, like you know, with with my my data from my my uh, continuous glucose monitor and things like that. Um, so. You can find all of our links to our social media at theketomansclub.com. You can also uh, reach us via email, ketomansclubpodcast at gmail.com. 
or you can call or text 512-518-6161. We really appreciate it. If you are listening or watching this and think that this is something that, that was a friend or family member might be able to use uh, to, to carry them forward, um, please put this in their hands. Send them a link. Um, it, you know, it just takes a few moments and this might, I, I haven't used it in a while. I'm proud of myself. I haven't, but I, I, I've used often, um, during this closing period that for oftentimes for most of us, all we need is a pebble, that pebble that starts the avalanche that helps us go towards the, the our health journey. And th- this episode might be that final pebble that they needed to push them over the edge to start the avalanche to actually help them towards uh, optimal health and and uh, and really reaching um, their goals and and being the best version of themselves that they can be, just like we say in our in our in our podcast intro. So um, do that for us. Thank you again, Carly, for joining us. Very much our pleasure to have mm-hmm. you here. Um, you were, you're absolutely, we knew you would be, but you were absolutely proving to, to be a wealth of information. And we really appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, well, thank you so much for having me on. It's fun. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear it. Well, until next week, make sure to eat meat, lift heavy, sleep and repeat.